A house is made of wood and stone, but only love can make a home. Welcome to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, helping you make your home into one you'll love even more. On News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday, Haley. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Living the dream. We're going to get straight into the show today. Yes. We're not going to pause because we've got a segment that I want to do that's really mattered to me. Now, all of them matter. They're all my children. <laughs> I love them all, right? But this is one of those, there's there's a handful that really have impacted how I look at things. Right. So that's going to be right off the bat. But we want to give you a quick highlight on what else is coming up. And at the end of the show today, we're going to do another one of our hidden gems of West Michigan mm-hmm. segments. We yeah, kind I'm excited of about it. found a new place that we we'd really like to recommend. We've recommended a few in the past. We've got a new one. We think it's a really cool, cool little shop. I don't want to say any Too more much. about it. It's kind of a, a cool surprise. We'll get to that at the end. We'll also be in the studio. Well, we'll be on the phone. Habit. Force a habit there. We'll be on the <laughs> phone with Nick Sargent from Johnson Carpet One in Granville talking about how to use area rugs to define a space. But now, that's that's what's coming up. Now let's get to the thing that, that I'm really intrigued about. And you, like two weeks or so, or so ago, Went to visit a friend, mm-hmm. and yeah. you kind of came back with a story about books. And, and Well, my best friend Amber lives in Moline, Illinois, with her husband Mitchell. And Mitchell used to work at used bookstores. Mm-hmm. And before that, he was a big reader. But of course, when he worked at these used bookstores, he got a crazy discount on books that are already cheap. So he amassed this giant collection of books. I have books. a giant collection of paint. <laughs> less usable over time, but he's got books. That's yeah. cool. Everything from, you know, classic literature to comic books. And I pointed it out as a personal library and he was kind of taken aback. Would you consider this a personal library? Do you know anyone else that has this many books? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's a personal library. It takes up their whole dining room. See, and you talked about that and we had already been kicking around the idea of of tackling that as a project mm-hmm. and proposing that as a project. You know, we hear about man caves and she sheds and all of that, and, and they all have their place and their value. But what happened to the library, the personal library? Right. They're pretty you know? eccentric. Right. They can be so much fun mm-hmm. and anybody can do it. And I think that's what's really cool about your story is that he didn't consider what he had a personal library. Right. A lot of us don't. I've got a lot of books. I never thought of it as a personal library. But now I'm thinking about where can I find a space mm-hmm. and really do this? Because it can be so much fun and so cool. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about. Now, right off the bat, if you love books, I guarantee you've probably got an ebook reader of some kind. You know, whether it's Kindle, whether you do that on your phone. And those are super cool. Yeah, they're really practical. Really practical. You can carry 50, 60, 100 books, whatever. As many as you want to buy in your pocket. And that's really amazing. And yet, when you really get down to it, the more that we use those things, the more I use those things, the more I realize I miss literal books. Yeah, of course. The other day, I grabbed a copy of Collected Short Stories of Flannery O'Connor. Okay. And it's a literal book that I had. And the fun (laughs) I had flipping through the pages, the smell... It's a whole experience. It's not just this cold object that we use for everything else already. It's not a separate experience anymore. Now you're getting texts that are popping up on the screen. It's harder to kind of indulge in in this world. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So books have a definite place. You know, ebooks are cool, but they are cold. They're digital, impersonal. You can't share them really, not easily. Not easily. They're not visible. 
to other people. People come into your house, they see all your books, and they judge you. Yeah. Based on what you're reading. <laughs> it's so true. You seem like you're smarter than this, but this is what you choose. <laughs> but that shouldn't matter. That's no. the thing. Books are great. They're a window into who we are. You know, really nothing says more about us than the things that we're incredibly interested in. And those things are all represented by these books that we hang on to and keep. Absolutely. Right? So why not use them for more than just something that we read from time to time and then keep tucked away wherever. Yeah, they can be part of your design, part of your home. And how better to do that than by creating a personal library? So let's talk about a couple reasons why personal libraries would be cool. I mean, we've already covered some, but first off, you know, they offer themselves as a private retreat, you know, for quiet, for study, Mm -hmm. for just rest. You know, it creates a really unique atmosphere in our homes that I can't think of another room that really does that. No, I don't think there is. Study, perhaps. Because really, like every other space, I mean, especially with TVs and everything else now, our living rooms are kind of a passive space. Mm -hmm. But I think a library offers some kind of active participation from you, which I think is really good for us. Right. A library is a great place for personal retreat, just quiet, rest, whatever you want to do. Another thing, they're a great place or a great way to display a collection. And it's really important to make the case here that when we're talking about a personal library, that doesn't mean that it has to be just books. Right. This can be other things that you collect, whether it's antiques, oddities, art, whatever it is, it can be mixed throughout these bookshelves or space. And it kind of allows you also to grow that collection over time. You don't have to just amass this giant library in one fell swoop. Right. And it encourages conversation, too, when you have people over and you have this space that kind of is intriguing, whether it's an oddity that sparks some interest or you see, you know, it's the nostalgia factor, an old book that was your favorite as a kid you see on the shelf and now you've got all these memories rushing back or it's something that you have an opportunity to recommend to someone else. Or hand on, pass along, right. whatever. My cousin does that. I was telling you about that before we started recording all of this, that he goes around and hits all the used bookstores, you know, mm-hmm. on days off and stuff. And he's always looking for extra copies of All Creatures Great and Small, the James Harriet books. And when he finds them, he buys them and then hands them out to people. He's like an ambassador for that book. I've had one of those books in my past yeah. that I was the ambassador for. It's fun. It's really fun to have those on a shelf, have a conversation about them and hand them off. So personal library, there's a couple of things. Another thing that you thought of that was so important is keeping written ephemera alive. Right. This is part Explain of preserving <laughs> Ephemera is something that's temporary. Books are paper. They can essentially dissolve over time. So we're preserving this material that would otherwise just be lost, I guess. All right. So you've got all of those reasons. And one last one that I think is really huge is that designing these spaces gives us a lot of room for creativity. Definitely. And and one of the things that I really like about this concept or this part of the idea is that I've started to branch out a little bit in my design at home mm-hmm. based on our Iris Apfel right. event and all the different stuff that we've talked about regarding her and how she stressed it's important to find things that we love, even if they're a little silly, even if they're goofy, mm-hmm. and incorporate them into our design. It doesn't have to fit into a style. Right. Well, I've started to do that, but it is tough. And one of the things that I've got is a great big, I don't even know what it is, terracotta-like material (laughs) frog. He's a big clay frog. And I don't know if he's found his right place yet in the living room, but I can guarantee (laughs) you that in a library he would because a library space by very nature 
is eccentric yes to some extent (laughs) and all of these things can find their place there and i would have a little more freedom to expand the boundaries just by having a space like that and the fun of expanding the boundaries i really can't put words to it no it's endless all right now we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to dig into what exactly you need to do to pull this space together what kind of things you need to consider what kind of things you should keep at the front of your mind we'll talk about all of that just ahead Stay tuned. Helping you turn your house into your dream home. This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back, and we're talking about personal libraries. And we tried to make the case in the last segment about why you might want one. Now, one thing we didn't cover in that first segment is one of the main stories that made me think about this whole thing as a topic in the first place. And it's a story I ran into about three years ago or so. It was from StoryCorps, which is a podcast. And basically, this one was about a three-minute story. It was a guy telling his daughter about Mm -hmm. how he grew up in the New York Public Library. And he literally grew up in it. He and his family lived there. His dad was the janitor. And when he was a little boy for a span of, I forget how many months, Mm -hmm. that was his home. That in itself is a story. I mean, that sounds like it's out of a book. It does. It sounds like it should be a movie. I guess I should have said a story since that's what we're talking about now. (laughs) You're way ahead of me on that. But it's a great little little story that he relates to his daughter and then they record it. I'm going to put a link in the show notes so you can listen to it. It's really worth the listen. But, you know, the basic premise, the thing that really spoke to me is he talked about how he loved living in that library and how during the day he had to be so quiet you know it's a library right it's got to be hushed his mom was always on him you gotta be quiet but then at night doors get locked and he's got free run of the place and he said he could holler and run and do whatever he wanted to but the thing that he loved the most is falling asleep at night if he couldn't get to sleep or if something was in, in his mind about how does this work or how did this happen or what you know what was this event that caused this to happen he'd get up and find the book and then he said i'd sit up till three in the morning reading and reading and Can you imagine pre-internet having all of the books at your fingertips? Well, it changed his life. He talked about how it gave him this thirst for learning. It's got this great line at the end where he thanks his dad. He talks to his dad about that that part of life. And he was the first one in his family to go to college. And he said, my dad always wanted to give me higher horizons. Mm-hmm. And he attributes his higher horizons to the library. This, yeah, this love of learning that came about from this library. And it made me think, we're so busy with man caves and, you know, video game systems and all this cool entertainment type stuff that right. we bring into our spaces. What happened to this? You know, this idea of a personal library. And it doesn't have to be scholarly. It doesn't have to be all those things. No, and it doesn't have to be an entire space either. It doesn't have to be a dedicated room, I guess is what I was saying. Right. But it's a great concept. Yeah. So let's talk about Let's imagine that you've got the books. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got enough to get going and you want to get started. Where do you go with it? What's the right space? And like you're saying, Haley, it doesn't have to be a dedicated room. No, now, it, it could. sure could be, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be. So start by just taking a look around your home and seeing what you've got. Now, that there could be what? An awkward space somewhere. Yeah, an in-between space that doesn't make a lot of sense right now. It's just kind of... I don't, something you pass through, like a stair landing at the top. Well, my grandma had that. And that, mm-hmm. I think, it was a great example. I always think about that. And yeah, she did a nice job with it. But it was just this in-between space. It would have been perfect for 
a little library. And what we're seeing is don't imagine. Uh, normally, when I imagine what's happening is we mention personal library mm-hmm. and everybody's picturing you know, the floor classic, to ceiling. Yeah. Right. Wrap around bookshelves. Right. The, the book, the, the library and Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Grandma's landing. She could have had two little short bookshelves. And a place to sit that was comfortable. And Perfect. that's an inviting space now where you can go into these written worlds. Right. So look around. It could be a dining room. It could be a living room. You said your friend in the last segment literally. It is in his dining room. Yeah. Has mm-hmm. it in the dining room. I would have loved that in my old house. I had a formal dining room. And it kind of felt like some wasted space. Right, because you've got just a big table in there and then you use it like once a day. Just for those (laughs) meals. But it could have been a little better than what it was by just putting in a bookcase. You've already got the table, right? Right. I mean, it's kind of like a library table then during the day if you're going to use it as that space. So I think a dining room actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So take a look around your house. Could be anything. And you adjust to the space that you've got. Even if it's one of those little weird landings, mm-hmm. you just make a little smaller library. Now, a couple things to consider when you're looking around. You're going to want a space that maintains a relatively stable temperature and humidity. Drastic yes. changes in either of those is going to cause paper to become brittle. Glues that hold the books together can weaken. And humidity can obviously cause mold. Yeah, right. And mold's not going to be something that you can recover from at that point. The book's kind of ruined. So humidity is definitely, especially here in Michigan, something that we've got to be really careful with. This isn't something that you're going to put on your front porch necessarily. Right, or your basement. I've read a number of articles where they recommend using your basement space for it. Yeah. Not the best way to go, especially in our area, at least. Right. You've really got to have some controlled conditions, I guess I would say. But natural light's going to be another one of those. You know, if you've got a super bright space and you've got the books exposed all day long, it's breaking the paper down for one, but it's also fading those inks. Right. We've got paint cans in the stores that sit in the front windows. And yeah, the labels look terrible after a while. And it doesn't take very long to fade those inks out. So keep those things in mind as you're choosing a space. But go around, look, maybe you've got that perfect space. Once you find it, now, how do you define it? How do you create right. this separate space that feels like a library? Well, there are a number of key considerations. We've only got time to go over a few of them, but color has got to be the most important to start with. I think with. so, yeah. It's going to create a real atmosphere depending on what type of color you choose. And I don't think any color is actually off limit. Well, that's interesting because a number of articles that we ran into actually make the claim that there are off limit colors and you can't do bright. You can't do bold colors. You can't do energizing colors. Stay away from those. That doesn't make any sense to me. We disagree wholeheartedly. Right. I mean, make it work for you, first of all, but... I think they're going off this idea that these libraries are these man caves that are these dark, you know, studies. Yeah, the they're old very classic, moody, yeah, forest which is fine. green. You can still do that, but you can still have a light, airy space. If that's going to be more inviting to you and encourage you to actually use this room, that's what the color should be. Or make it make sense for your collection of books, too. If you've got a collection of comic books, it'd probably make a lot of sense to use a bright color in there. <laughs> right. And all of those things are open. So like you're saying, the, the color that you choose, really, the only rules are that it needs to work with your collection mm-hmm. because there's so much color going on in the collection. Right. Let's make sure the color works with that. You want to make sure that it works to create the tone that you desire. Color creates tone and atmosphere 
more than anything else you're going to put exactly. in the room. So make sure it's working to get where you want to go. And then thirdly, make sure it's compatible with the space. If you've got a big, brightly lit room, you're going to struggle to make that dark and contemplative. Right, exactly. So work with all of those things. So ask yourself, what am I trying to create? What's really important with this this space? What atmosphere? Light and airy? dark and moody or energizing. I think I might go for light and airy myself, but I also think that wallpaper might be something that I would use in defining a personal library. It's going to add so much character to the space, and it's a type of whimsy that you can't really get with paint. Right. And wallpaper is an incredibly practical way to start this whole design process as you're trying to plan out what colors you might want, what atmosphere do you want to create. We've talked about it before, but tooling through the wallpaper books, you will find things that you never thought would be available or appealing to you or appealing to you. Right. You'll find color combinations that you wouldn't have considered and all of it comes together in wallpaper and it gives you direction. It gives you something to work with. And the thing that we'd stress with that is make sure you're creative with the actual application of where you put the paper. Right. It doesn't have to be an entire room, just like color, you know, paint doesn't have to be the entire room. It could be an accent wall. It could be the backs of the bookshelves even. I mean, what a perfect opportunity for a library. Right. Just keep it something simple, I would think. But, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, t- a texture, a visual texture, something that's neutral in nature can really give a lot of visual appeal and provide a great backdrop for the books that you put out. And if it's smaller, that's going to work with a smaller budget, too. Yeah, exactly. So wallpaper color will help you get where you want to go. Just stop out at any Repcolite Port City paint store. Tell us what you're working on and we'll help you figure out how to get there. Now, another consideration that's super important is shelving, making sure you get the right shelving. Where you're going to have these books displayed is kind of going to shape the library itself. And it's really dictated, I guess, by your space, whether it's an entire office that you're dedicating where you could actually have some built-in wraparound shelves, or if it's going to be an in-between space, finding the right size shelves or, you know, building your own to fit the space. Right. That's important. Another thing to consider is shopping around and finding at you know antique malls thrift stores things like that yeah it can be inexpensive right and and they don't even all, all have to be of the same style yes because if you paint them a single paint color over all of these varying styles mm-hmm. is going to unite them yeah and it creates a lot of texture too so shelving is an important consideration other things very very briefly the seating the lighting the little ladder on the rolly wheel <laughs> yeah if you really go big you might want one of those but all of those are things you can think about Just toy around with the idea and see if a personal library might be something in whatever form it takes, Mm -hmm. might be something that might work in your home. Now, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be on the phone with Nick Sargent from Johnson Carpet One talking about defining spaces in our home with area rugs. Mm -hmm. That's all coming up next. Stay tuned. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back. And Haley, open floor plans. Lots of people have them and lots of people love them. I always like little spaces. I do too. I think we're the rare ones though. Yeah, everybody wants an open floor plan. And there's a lot of good that comes from that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the spaces just blend together. You know, sometimes people do want to turn like a sunroom into a room that literally feels like 
its own space. Mm -hmm. Or Or, we just talked about in the previous segments about creating a personal library. Exactly. And we talked about using an awkward space or... An in-between space. An in-between space. And how do you make that feel like its own thing? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of ways you can do that. You can do that with color. You know, that's a big one. But you can also do that with flooring. And so we're on the phone with Nick Sargent, one of the sales designers at Johnson Carpet One in Granville, and we're going to talk about just that. Nick, thanks for being here. Thank you. Let's just get into this. You know, Mm -hmm. we're talking about defining spaces. Mm -hmm. Give Mm -hmm. us some ideas from your perspective about using flooring to define a space. Uh, the, the easiest and the most simple way to do it is area rocks. Okay. Uh, you know, they come in multiple shapes, sizes, you know, the designs are endless these days. Right. Um, the looks are endless these days. So those can help define a space and, and separate, you know, kind of the main, maybe focal point of those great rooms versus, you know, maybe a little sittings area, or you guys mentioned maybe a library or a library nook, mm-hmm. or, you know, now we're starting to get into where they go into the large sunrooms and kind of differentiating the spaces or, or giving them their each own personality. Yeah, personality is a good way to put that. Mm-hmm. So, so talk about, you know, texture, color options. If we've got multiple spaces that we want to define, for example, in an yes. open floor plan, do we yes. use all the same style of rug? I can't imagine using all different colors. That would end up getting pretty crazy, wouldn't well, it? Well, it depends on the style, yeah. I think. But I'm curious what you think. Um, well, I mean, as long as they coordinate or, or there's a flow to the desi- to the overall design of the home and everything so you know and that's going to play into furniture and 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 maybe if you have throw pillows and things like that or maybe there's a piece of artwork and kind of making all those decisions together and you know and help making the area rug sometimes will pull it all together so you know yeah and and people do have slightly different ones for different feels and different things like that um and then some rugs come bigger than other types of rugs and especially with with these great rooms, you know, they're they're loud. We have a lot of hard surface, much more hard surface than we've had in the past, mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So more fabric, the more soft surfaces we can do, help you know ground spaces or absorb sound as well. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about sound, mm-hmm. but in these open spaces with hardwood floors, that would be kind of a big deal too. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah. texture and color we're talking about there. But I'm curious about mm-hmm. size too because. I'm wondering if you need or if there's a good rule of thumb for considering the size of furniture in a space and how that dictates mm-hmm. the size of rug. Um, in the past, you know, there was more rules on the size of rug, you know, like usually the rug went under the, the front of the furniture legs. Okay. You know, like dining room tables, you know, they should be eight inches off the, the end of the table and things like that. Gotcha. But we don't really do, you know, we, we can play with those rules much more now just because we have more options. And there again, we're, we're building bigger houses, bigger rooms and bigger spaces, you know, bringing the area rug all the way to the back of the furniture or even past the furniture because you might have a sofa table behind mm-hmm. a sofa and things like that. Um, there again, more, you know, soft surface, more sound absorption, and can help quiet a space or define a space. Well, I guess that makes sense, too. If we're talking about these open floor plans, Mm -hmm. you are a little bit more open as far as rug sizes. Because before, you would have had a wall there. So (laughs) Yes, yes. It would have been limiting. It makes sense there was rules Mm -hmm. of thumb with that, and now it's a little bit more flexible. Yes. See, for me, I like the rules. 
I'm a rule like follower. You are. Yeah, I was. My kids pointed that out, I, and I didn't realize it. But what the Hannah, my youngest, was telling the other kids, mm-hmm. guys, you just don't get it. Dad's a rule follower, <laughs> and so when the rules are removed, I really don't know what to do. So well, I'm not a, not a mean, big fan of this. Part of that plays into is for a lot of years. You know, most rugs are made overseas. They are made in like Turkey or you know. India or China and Asia, and and we have these standard sizes and some of these standard sizes rugs, you know, like say you know just not an eight by ten, but they would be seven foot nine by eleven foot two inches, and these very defined sizes, but they don't fit American households. America, you know, where these great rooms, they're you know they're not meant for those spaces as much, so. You know, that kind of helps throw out the rule book a little bit because, you know, not everybody can make some of those standard sizes work in their household. Yeah, I've been in that situation before. I've ordered an area rug off of Amazon. It's very specific mm-hmm. sizes that you're able yes. to get. And none of them really felt right for what I was working with. So I really struggled mm-hmm. with that in the past. So what are you talking about offering, Nick? Do you have custom sizes or just yes. more sizes? Okay, custom. Yes. So pretty much here at Johnson's, we can take any carpet we have on the floor and we can turn it into an area rug. Um, most manufacturers have an area rug division where they'll take the goods and they'll they'll fabricate it however we want it done, um, and then they'll ship the uh, final product to us. Or you know, we also have a couple local rug fabricators where we can you know design a rug for you, send it out to them, and then they will fabricate it for us. Cool. All right. So okay. That can be very custom then. So we've talked about hard surfaces and putting the rugs on those areas. I guess I'm curious about carpet. I've seen that over and over again. It just seems yeah, strange so to me. It's, it's a very old design style. It's one that's been around for a very, very long time. Is a lot of times, you know, because, you know, hundreds of years ago, we didn't have as many options as we did in carpet. We just had wool carpets, and we tend to have, like, three colors in wool carpets. Sure. Um, so, and then, you know, people would get area rugs from... Persia or, or other parts of the world, and they would throw it on top of it to give room color. So doing layering area rugs is a very, very common thing. You see it a lot on you know, the East Coast or the West Coast. Um, typically now you would probably want to do a very tight carpet underneath um, or something low pile, maybe not pattern to it, and then mm-hmm. you could layer on top of that. And that's not going to damage that carpet over time? No. Uh, sometimes you'll have to have the correct rug pad in between, but other than that, no. Because a lot of times you'll see, you know, maybe a sisal rug, and, you know, sisal rugs can be kind of prickly and kind of not the nicest, softest thing to lay on. Right, right. Uh, and, and then you might see a shag rug on top of that, or you might see a pattern rug on top of that, and then sometimes people will throw maybe a cowhide on top of it all off, you know. So you can oh. really layer with these different yes. tiles and textures. Hmm. See, I would be sucking up the edges of it with the vacuum all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know what you people mean. People like yeah. me shouldn't have an yeah. expensive area rug. <laughs> I should just yeah. have something inexpensive. Well, and I've yeah. never, I don't think I've ever done rugs correctly either because I don't, I know there are things that exist to keep the rug in place, but I've never been yeah. good at using them. <laughs> so what should I be using? Um, some rugs will already have the non-skid attached to the back. You know, uh, there's the waffle ones, you know, a lot of people refer to them as the waffles. They're very thin and they kind of look like, you know, like basically a waffle and that will help keep things in the past. Or we also sell premium rug pads, you know, premium rug pads. 
way back in the day they were made out of horse hair and now they're wow. made out of synthetic material but it's kind of the same thing it kind of grips the bottom of the carpet there's usually a non-skid attached to the bottom that will help ground it and keep it in place and that will protect both the rug and the flooring underneath okay interesting all right so talk a little bit in the last little bit that we've got here about what you guys mm-hmm. you kind of alluded to it already everything mm-hmm. at your showroom if you've got a carpet it could be turned into yes. an area rug. Do you have specific yes. area rugs as well? What can our listeners come uh, in and expect to find at your place? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we are we are bringing in more and more, you know, traditional area rugs, selections and things like that. Um, most of our manufacturers will showcase a little bit here and there. Um, we're trying to bring in more and more because, you know, there's not really a good source of that at, in West Michigan right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we aim to be that source in West Michigan for area rugs and things like that. All right. So how long does it take to get a custom rug? Should I want to, you know, go that route? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it can be as little as two weeks, and sometimes it can be, you know, six weeks or more, depending on what options and how you want it finished. All right. So you guys are located where in Granville? Uh, Downtown Granville, corner of Chicago Drive in Wilson. All right. Johnson Carpet One, if our listeners have any questions, Nick, and they want to get in touch with you or... You know, reach out to the store. How's the best way to do that? Yes. Uh, you can either stop into our show. We're open six days a week. Otherwise, uh, 616-531-3100 is our main service line. All right. Awesome. Nick Sargent from Johnson Carpet One. Thanks for talking with us today, Nick. Thank you. All right. We've got to take a break. We're going to play commercials. I'm sure they're going to be good ones. We've handpicked them. <laughs> Hand-selected our favorite commercials. That would be fun. Yeah, I think we should do that. Yeah. They'll play. When we're back, we're going to be talking about a great find, a gem, a hidden gem in West Michigan. You're going to want to hear what it is, where it is, and how to get there. That's all coming up next. Stay tuned. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Well, Haley, a number of weeks ago, I think one of your first episodes mm-hmm. on the show, right? Yeah. We went and decided it was winter and it was snowy. And we thought, what what can we tell people to do? Or encourage. We don't tell anybody to do anything. <laughs> I tell my children. I demand. To, yeah. We have a list of demands <laughs> that we want everybody to pay attention to. No, we were trying to encourage people. There's fun things to do, right? Yes, definitely. And, and maybe things you hadn't thought of before. Exactly. Things you may not have even known existed. Mm-hmm. And we found the Muskegon Winter Sports Complex. Yes, I went luging there for the first time. And that was quite the experience. We highly recommend that place. And you went to Wally's Treasures. Treasures and Antique Mall? Yes. Wally's Treasures in Grand Rapids. And again, just a lot of fun. It was a place I didn't know about. And when I got there, I wanted everybody to know about it yeah. because great prices, a lot of stuff to see, just a great way to spend an afternoon. Had a lot of fun with the kids. Well, we found another one that we want to talk about. And you stumbled into this one. It's yeah, the heritage... I can't even remember how. No, I don't remember how either. We were probably working on another segment and we ran into the Heritage Company, Architectural Salvage and Supply in Kalamazoo. Mm-hmm. And they've got an interesting story. They've been around for a long time, established in 1986. And they talked about having a huge collection of basically restoration-type hardware and materials. Right. Doors, windows, um, doorknobs, 
bathroom stuff. I mean, you've got tubs, sinks. So it's a pretty good variety of anything that might have been broken or need to be replaced. They've got grates even, you know, like air return vents, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff, which I love. I love the detail in those old ones. The new ones are just like, meh, whatever. (laughs) It's a really interesting place online, at least. And we love the idea of the work that they do. You know, they're saving these old architectural elements And there's just so much that we get out of that. You know, the ability to reuse these things. We can add character to a newer space in our homes. Right. Because a lot of these really old features of architecture are super popular right now in design. So it's important to have these old things that we can bring in, I think, and not necessarily have to depend on these replicas or whatever because these are the real deal the real deal high quality pieces and it's it's just important that they're saved that's really interesting also so much of this can be repurposed you know using it for crafty projects things like that old windows yes it's a perfect example exactly and also finally of course it's a great place to have if you are restoring an old home a historic home and you need to find, you know, period accurate pieces right. or materials, elements, it's places like this. It's not as easy to just go to a big box store to find something when you break whatever right. it is. You can't. Yeah. Not for some of these pieces. And places like this, it's like a, 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 a real tangible catalog yes. that you walk through. So anyway, that's what it looked like online. We decided we'd go and check it out. And after we found parking... Yeah, that was the And trip. we found out, again, <laughs> that I'm a rule follower. And, and I Haley am not. doesn't care. <laughs> She's so busy just, oh, well, we'll just park here. And we'll be fine. And I'm playing out a million scenarios in my head. We're well, going to get a ticket. Away, it's going to get towed away. I might even get yelled at. Yeah. And if we get yelled at, do you know what that's going to feel like? <clears throat> when do I get my grown-up card? <laughs> when do I not care anymore? I don't know. But anyway, we finally found parking that was acceptable to both of us. Mm-hmm. And we went in. And yeah, it's quite a place. It's really overwhelming at first because there's so much of each of these categories and the first thing that caught my eye was all the lighting they have so much old lighting there and it's all been restored you can use this stuff in your new house your old house wherever and it's really well priced which was overwhelming to me because i'm thinking wow this is stuff that i can actually afford to buy and put in the house potentially right and it's the authentic mm-hmm. period accurate you know, yeah. this is exactly what was used in these older houses. And like you said, it's been restored. And we were talking to the guy there running it. And he, he mentioned how lighting is a big thing that people come here for. And he talked about how, yeah, you can go to a big box store and buy new lighting for about the same price, maybe yeah. a little more. But the quality of these older pieces is higher. Exactly. They've, been they've already proven that they last so long. And they're almost art. I mean, mm-hmm. they basically are art. And yeah, it's fun to have that, especially if you've got that old space and you're looking for something that's going to fit with it. Yes. Yeah, this Replacing is Replacing those like 80s fixtures that, you know, maybe the old house was updated throughout the years and now it's like this mishmash of time sure. periods. I think this place is perfect. A lot of interesting stuff in lighting doors. He mentioned um, that was something that people travel from all over the area. Yes, that and was beyond. so cool to hear that people are coming from Chicago. To, and further. Yeah. Just to, to find look, a door. Yeah, to look through the selection of doors. They had an entire basement full of doors and, and windows, mm-hmm. but tons and tons and tons of doors. Yeah, Old multiple doors floors. Almost <laughs> any size or a, any style, multiple sizes. 
And yeah, and the prices were very reasonable on the doors. Absolutely. I mean, again, you can go go to a big box store and spend like $1,000 on a front door. These old solid wood front doors are 250 bucks here. Yeah, and the interior ones ranged from 70 to 90, you know, around in that yeah. that area. So, tons of doors, a lot of windows, you know, if you're looking for little crafty projects with windows. I've never been in a place that had more windows no, I haven't available. Either. And that wasn't even the thing I was I, I wasn't even thinking that I'd want to do any projects with windows. It's not where I'm going mm-hmm. with things. But when I saw them all, right, I was thinking, is there a way? Because there's so many cool things here. Well, it makes me actually think of those greenhouses that people will build out of old windows that they sure. kind of quilt together. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. But yeah. it's definitely one of those things that I think you can get crafty with. You're not necessarily going to replace like a nice energy seal no, final right. window with this like old lead glass. Definitely. It's, it's more crafty in, yeah. in that regard. And then when it came to like hardware and materials for inside, you know, uh, door face plates, you know, they had doorknobs, they had hinges and all of these things. So much know, detail. So much detail. So much beauty. We've got a few pictures that we're going to put in the show notes. Yes. But absolutely amazing stuff. It blew my mind, too, because even the hinges had detail. Mm-hmm. Something that's totally hidden the majority of the time that none of us are really paying attention to, they paid attention to. <laughs> right. No, they had entire rooms and bins full of pretty much anything you can imagine hardware-wise. Yes. Knobs for cabinet doors, for furniture. They had uh, furniture casters mm-hmm. of all kinds of sizes. You know, if you've got antique furniture and you need to restore it or you want to restore it, and sometimes they had those casters on them yep. and you can't find exactly what used to be there. Right. The Heritage Company, they had it. In right in Kalamazoo, you can walk in and grab it. And all of the materials for doors, you know, like like we talked about those face plates. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you've got just a, something plain and simple, my old house had those. And there were a couple of doors that were the original door, but those materials were missing. I see. And I couldn't find them. I didn't know about places like this back then. That would have been a perfect way. I could have found exactly what I needed right Right. there. And now the whole house feels connected again, rather than a couple that have some weird faceplates. I also had at the old house the crystal cut doorknobs. Oh, yeah. I love those. But then there were two doors that they couldn't find those anymore. So they ended up buying something that was new, Mm -hmm. but was also like a glass door. But it didn't look the same. That always bothered me a little bit. Again, here's a place where you can find what you're looking for. And get everything consistent if you're trying to restore. Exactly. And they still do have other antiques mixed into, you know, chairs, other furniture. So they've got a huge variety. It's definitely a place to spend an afternoon. Yeah, definitely check it out. The Heritage Company, Architectural Supply and Salvage. You can find them online at heritagearchitecturalantiques.com or check them out on Facebook. And that's all the time we've got. Another episode gone. (laughs) Just like that. You know, the best parts of life go fast, don't they? It's true. Yeah. And I think this is one of the best, probably for everybody listening. Everyone Don't you think? In the top five? Yes. Anyway. (laughs) This is their best time spent. (laughs) Wow. If you missed it and you want, or more likely you caught it and you just want to re-catch it. 
Or recommend it to a friend. Or recommend it to a friend. You can find it online at repcolite.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for the podcast and you'll never miss an episode ever again. (laughs) Also, check out our Facebook and Instagram page. We're going to be posting some of the pictures that I took from our visit. You'll check those out. Plus, we want to see your pictures if you end up visiting the Heritage Company and Architectural Salvage yourself. And if you end up doing a project with them. We'd love to see that. Love to see what you work out. Anyway, whatever you do today, make sure your paint's a part of it. All of the Repco Light and Port City paint stores are open till 3, waiting to help. I'm Dan Hanson. And I'm Haley Johnson. Thanks for listening. 